All right. Hey, good morning, church. Hey, I want to need a couple things this morning. Can somebody, um, Doug, can you grab the garbage can and bring it up here from behind you, please? Is it trash or garbage can? Okay. Thank you, sir. I'm just getting, I'm just getting ready. Hang on here. You know, I bring props up here, right? At times, those, these, this is not a prop today. This is just in case I need it. Hey, a lot of you guys know, you know, what, what our family's been going through. And yeah, it's been challenging. And, um, you know, the Bible says that when, when the two come together, the Bible says God, only God can do this math, that two equals one. That doesn't make sense in my brain. Now it makes sense. And so when that one is ripped away, yeah, it's, uh, you need a wastebasket. Annie came into my office yesterday. She goes, can I dump out your garbage? And I felt I had to explain what was in my garbage. Um, I had a huge Mountain Dew. And I don't drink Mountain Dew. Don't really care for Mountain Dew. But Cleo loved a Mountain Dew. And her friends, Doug and Leanne Ellis, when she was in a rehab place, brought her a whole six-pack of these massive Mountain Dews. And the uh, economical guy that I am, I said, I can't just throw them away. So I drank that whole thing um, for lunch. And um, not six-pack. <laughs> Tim, did you really? No. I just drank one, 16.9 ounces. I didn't even know they made a 16.9 ounce. Um, now I do. And, uh, and then the rest of the garbage can was full of Kleenex. Um, just because that's just where, where I'm at personally. And a lot of you have been asking and you've been sending me cards. Thank you. Um, been sending me emails. Thank you. Um, text messages. Thank you. And, uh, it's just going to take a while, right? Yeah. Someday I should tell our story. Well, I'll tell it real quick. It has nothing to do with what's going on today. But, you know, we met in youth group. Um, and so she was 15 and a half. I say that for my own safety. And then uh, <laughs> I was 17. We actually knew each other a little bit before that. I didn't like her at first because her and her friend were real flirty. And I didn't want to go, go out with a girl that was real flirty. But she was super cute. And so I kind of put that past. I said, I can figure that out. Um, so yeah, so we dated for three years. And then um, her mom approached me and says, I know you're the man for my wife, but I want her to wait a year um, when she gets out of school. So she graduated late June. In 1985, and we were married in July, early July of 86. So we waited a year and a couple days um, to get married. So, um, yeah, so we were together, married 35 years. So it's just one of those things where God is walking with me. And every song I sing now is so rich and full. And I was thinking of the song, <laughs> you know, God take us deeper, you know. And uh, the picture I had was water polo. Have any of you guys watched? Any Olympics fans? You watch the Olympics? 
You know, anybody watch the water polo? Now, if you're watching water polo and you're kind of thinking, that looks pretty easy because they're just like, it's like three feet deep and they're just like running around with the ball and they're, you know, like they're doing this because they can't touch it with two hands. Did you know that? They can only touch it with one hand. And so they're doing this, but it's like 10 feet deep. And, it's, and you only see from about here, and they're swimming around, and it looks like they're having a great time. But have you ever seen the camera shots from underneath? Who has not seen the camera shots of water polo underneath the water? So what is happening is they're not wearing much underneath, right? But they are tugging, pulling, ripping, grabbing the person, and that's why if you, now, now I want you, when you watch it, I want you to watch, they're like bobbing. They're not just doing that for fun, like, hey, I'm going to go underwater for a second, and they pop back up. They're being tugged under constantly by the other team. Illegally, but that's what they're doing. They're grabbing arms, they're grabbing whatever they can grab, mainly swimsuits, and pulling them under to fight to get that ball. And that's when I was singing that this morning, the Lord gave me that picture of, yeah, you're in the deep water, and you're being tugged at, but you're not going under. You're not going to go under, because I'm with you. So, so he's with me, and I just want you to know that. In the midst of the hard, he's with me. And I feel his presence daily, um, moment by moment. Um, yeah, is it hard? Yeah, of course. If it wasn't hard, then I'd be in trouble. And as a pastor of this church, our church would be in trouble. And so the price of love is grief and pain. It was worth it. Well, I was a youth pastor for 20 years. And I, I loved it. Felt called to do it. Played a lot of crazy games. And the reason why I played games in youth group was if I could get a group of teenagers to come and be goofy with leaders... Um, it would knock the barriers down. And so we're playing crazy games together. And then when we sit down and we talk about Jesus, the barriers are down and the hearts are open. Played all kinds of crazy games. One of my favorite games ever was, what would you do for a dollar? Youth group game. What would you do for a dollar? Played it one time at our house. We had this tiny little doggy door because we, we had a small dog. And uh, Jack Russell Terrier. And, uh, and so we had a guy living at our house at the time. His name is Brian. He led the game. And Brian was a little edgy. So, and it was junior hires at this time. So we had some junior hires. You know, junior hires range from all kinds of different sizes. We happen to have a smaller guy. And Jeff Brian says, would you crawl through this doggy door for a dollar? He did it. And that wasn't enough. Would you kiss the dog for a dollar? You know, let the dog lick your face for a dollar. He did it. Um, so I thought I'd play a little game this morning. I have three not so crispy one dollar bills today. See, I told you they're not so crispy. Um, and so I thought I would play a quick game of what would you do for a dollar? Okay. Andrea, you're already telling me no. You're already out? Okay, so I need a volunteer. And I'm looking around. I don't want to hurt anybody this morning. Yeah. 
There he is. I got a volunteer. Okay. All right. You have to do one push-up. I was going to say five, but I'm going to give you grace. Do two. Do two push-ups. One, two, do three more. Three, four, five. That's good. Give it up for Ishmael. Thank you for a dollar. I need another volunteer who's willing to eat an expired Twinkie for a dollar. Someone just said there's no such thing as an expired Twinkie. They're pretty much right. Okay. Alan, it's not that old. It's like a year old. But it's still soft. I mean, I can still squeeze it. Yeah, I'm looking at you. Okay. So this is what I'm going to do. You can just have the dollar and have the Twinkie. And whether you eat it or not, you don't have to eat it right now. Just eat it later. Do you have a cell phone? Just no, do you know 911? <laughs> just messing with you. You're fine. Okay. Last one. Last one. You know, there's like the three, there's one of the biggest fears in life is standing up in front of people and talking. And I'll give it up for Pete. You guys saw Pete come up and do this this morning? So how that happened was, he's going to watch this later maybe, and maybe not, so it doesn't matter. He was goofing around with me this morning. So we have pre-service prayer that all of you are welcome to come to at 925 on Sunday morning. So what that is, is just an opportunity for our volunteers who are hanging out and serving to kind of come early and to breathe for like 10 minutes. And we, we have a little time of worship and we pray together. And then we kind of go over service order. And so during the service order, I was looking for somebody to do rap worship. And before I even asked Dana Buck to do it, Pete raised his hand and says, hey, what do you want me to do this morning? And I was like. <laughs> and when I told him, he was like, eh. And then we talked him into it. And he did a great job. Great job. One of the things, yeah. So one of the fears is getting up in front of people. So I need somebody who is willing to get up and share their favorite Bible verse for a dollar. Someone who's not always up here. And you can stay right, like Jess, you can stay right there where you're at. And for one dollar, you can tell us like your favorite Bible verse. Come on. Isaiah said that. Isaiah chapter 6 when, when he has a vision of heaven. So why did I play that game today? Well, let me ask you this as a church. What are we willing to do as a church to gather? What are we willing as a church? And I'm being serious here now. I'm not giving out any more money. In fact, as a church, we're actually asking you to tithe. We're asking you to bring money. But what are we willing to do as a church to gather? You guys realize, and, and Ruslan is here, and I'm going to take some of his things that we've had conversation over in the past that we haven't had experience in the United States. Would we be willing to get up and gather at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning? It's hard to get people here at 10 o'clock. But would we be willing to gather at 4 o'clock in the morning? Would the amount of people in this room right now be willing to meet in the office right across the hall here, which is about 14 by 20? Would you be willing to, on the spot, receive a text message the day of, and the day is not determined, 
It's not Sunday every, every time, right? It's not determined when you're going to gather because you're being watched and you're being followed. Would you be willing to receive a text message that says, show up at Andrea's apartment at 7 p.m. tonight, and that's when we're going to have church. But you don't show up at 7 p.m. You know why you don't show up at 7 p.m.? Because the KGB will be there at 7 p.m. Because they're monitoring your phones. And so we show up at 8.30. Because the KGB will come and they will check it out. There's no meeting here. And you're not lying. There's no meeting here right now. But after they leave and they depart an hour and a half later, you have church. What are we willing to do to meet together? I think it's a really serious question because I think as we progress in time, we may have to go that way someday. I don't know. I pray not. I pray that I'm long gone and Jordan's pastoring and Libby's leading worship and McKenna is doing interpretive dance. That's our, that's our inside joke. Flags and interpretive dance. Marcy mentioned earlier, you know, the mandate coming down tomorrow. And I'll just say whether I agree with it or not, is in order for us to gather legally in Washington State, we'll have to do this. <laughs> and after going through that list, and I'm just going through that list because this is the list that I had to go through because I don't like these. But it's my time with you and our time together to me is more valuable than this. And that string that Marcy had earlier is perfect for this. 168 hours a week and all we ask to do is a piece of tape about that long. Now that's what we'll start off. I'll just tell you that that's what we'll start off as a church. We'll do. We'll wear masks. And if it just gets crazy and weird, then we can, we'll, we just, we'll just, we're going to follow Jesus. And right now, he asks us to do what we're being asked, because it's, it's not contrary to this. It's not. It's church. It's not. But if they ask us, say, hey, you know what? We're going to come and take all these. That's a problem. Yeah. Um, we'll just tell Ruth. Ruth, can you deal with that? Handle it, Ruth. Because that would be a problem. Church, would that be a problem? If they knock on your front door and say, hey, we need your Bibles, that would be a problem. Okay. When they said you cannot sing in church, that was a problem for me. Because we're part of who we are is an expression of worship in song. It's how human beings are made. We are made to sing and worship him. How do we know that? Just go get in your car and press buttons. There's radio stations all over. Now, they're not singing to him, but they're singing because God created music. God created song. There's nothing like worshiping him. In fact, that's what's, for me personally, that's what's getting me through this time is being in his presence. And just allowing him, that's, only my, 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 that's my only escape. And sometimes it's extremely painful because the songs we sing, you know, I had a conversation with you know, my son, you know, he's processing. And he says, Dad, all these songs we sing talk about God's healing. Why didn't he heal mom? I don't know why. 
Can he heal? Yes. Has he healed? Yes. You'll hear it next week, but Cleo was given, not even given a week in 1989. She, then she wasn't even given a month. And then even after a 12-hour brain surgery, and she had a massive stroke, and she wasn't given any time. And then the doctor, I remember after like the one-year checkup, the doctor said, you know, best case scenario, 10 years. I mean, I don't really want to hear that from doctors, honestly, but that's what we heard. Well, she made it 32 years. I believe that God healed her to that point to get her to 32 years and live the life that she lived, an amazing life. And so, can he heal? Yes. Does he heal? Yes. Does sometimes, I'm just saying from what I've seen and what I've experienced, sometimes does he choose not to heal? I just tell you from my experience, I would say yes. Do I understand that? No. If you're a parent in the room, what's one of the worst things that you experience is when your kids are sick. First of all, it's really inconvenient, but it's painful to watch your kids be in pain. And most parents would trade places with their kids. God's the perfect parent because you know what he did? He did trade places. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came because we are sick. There's nothing we could do about it. And so Jesus came and says, I'm going to fix this. When you think of Jesus, I mean, I just want you to take a moment. Take a moment. And I want you to think of Jesus right now. And what comes to your mind when you think of Jesus? Like as I just speak his name, Jesus, what comes to your mind? And I know for those of you at home, you're welcome to text me, even though I don't have my phone, but I would love to hear. Honestly, I would love to hear what you have to say, 206 941 Text me, I'll respond after service. For those of you in the house, I'm not going to pass the mic around, but I would love to hear from some of you. When you hear the name Jesus, what do you hear? What do you think of? New life. Love. Salvation. Forgiveness. Friend. I'm repeating these for people at home. Power? Power. Anybody else? Arms stretched out wide. Yeah. So meekness. Yeah. Restrained power is meekness. Yeah. For sure. Anybody else? Anybody on this side? Kindness. Kindness yes. Humble. Humble. You're on that side. That's good. 
Safety, yeah. Yeah. Hope. Hey, anybody need hope today? Raise your hand if you need some hope. Yeah. Jesus being found in appearance as a man. Philippians chapter 2 describes what Jesus has done for us. And I want to read a couple passages to, the, to you this morning. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God our Father. Because of what Jesus has done, God says, I will elevate him. Well, Jesus left that place to come here, and then he went back to that place and was elevated. If you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5, I mean, I think a lot of times when we think of Jesus, we think about the, the things that we raised up. But he's so much, we can't even describe him. Revelation chapter 5 is on page 1065 in your church Bible. And I'm going to attempt to read this, just the whole, all of chapter 5, because it's a picture of Jesus. It's who he is now and what he's done for us. Now, I want to say, don't get distracted by the descriptions and some of the visuals, because it's, whew, it's revelation. Don't worry about the seven horns and the seven eyes and the things flying all over the place. Don't worry about that. I want you to focus on Jesus. And in this passage, he's referred to as the lion and the lamb. Revelation chapter 5. This is John. The same John we're going to read here in a little bit that wrote the book of John. This is John's vision when he was in prison. John the disciple was tortured and put in prison. And this is the vision that he saw. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice... Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. So I, John, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. It was like an, an impossible situation. Unless someone was worthy, the world was done, is what John is saying. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, and there were seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. 
And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each had a harp and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which is the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. And because you were slain with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and every language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voices of angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands, and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped him. That is our Jesus. That is where he is like right now. With thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands worshiping him. And yet, church, he invites every single one of us to come. The Almighty, who is worth only, only he is worthy, he still invites us to come. And he's able to touch and heal and restore to save and to rescue. Jesus is our king. He is, someone said earlier, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet he's personal with every single one of us. He invites the weary, the burdened, the sick, the troubled, stressed, the overwhelmed, the lonely, and the sad. So if you're weary this morning, I believe that God can bring you strength. If you feel burdened, the only freedom you're going to find is in Jesus. If you're sick, then I believe that he will comfort you. And I believe that he can heal you. If you're troubled, I believe that he will pour his grace into you. Anybody stressed? Raise your hand if you feel stressed right now. Come on, let's be honest. So God, I pray for those who are raising their hand right now, God, and I pray for a supernatural peace that can only come from you, a peace that we don't understand, a peace that we, don't, we can't even figure out, but we don't have to because it's your peace and you offer it as a gift. And so we pray right now for your peace, Jesus. If you feel overwhelmed, new perspective. Because sometimes we get so overwhelmed with our own perspective because our perspective looks like this. The Bible says that God is the lifter of our heads. And so we go from here to here. And we get new perspective. If we feel lonely or sad, there's nothing like his presence. And the Bible says that he brings joy for the morning. Not the morning like morning now. But for those who are mourning, he brings joy. And I can attest to that church. 
the fact that I didn't even stand up here this morning is because of the joy of the Lord. Because he's not done. Now, I'll probably cry all afternoon. Maybe. Maybe I won't. But maybe I will. But that doesn't mean his joy is not there. John chapter 12. Such a great chapter. Jason's hit on it. Dana's hit on it. I'm going to hit on it again. We'll be in again in a couple weeks after Mercy Church. But for a moment in time, this is one of the, to me, this is one of the coolest passages in Scripture. It's because for a moment in time, there's a little taste of heaven. That Jesus actually is honored and worshipped and treated the way he was treated in heaven or is treated in heaven. And that's when he triumphantly comes into Jerusalem and they worship him. Now, are they worshiping him with kind of wrong motives? Ah, some of them. Now, let me change that. Most of them, because they thought he was going to deliver them from Rome. But they worshiped him. And they honored him. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. Verse 12. Page 925 in your black Bible. Before I read, remember, remember the context of what's going on here. Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. They had this massive party. Mary falls at Jesus' feet and, and pours $30,000 worth of fragrance onto his feet. $30,000 our money right now today, approximately. And then the next day, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. And it says right here in verse 12, the next day a great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Hey, what was going to happen to Jesus when he showed up in Jerusalem? Anybody? Big party? Thrones? Celebrations? What? Well, kind of. But not the way we would think. Yeah, Passover. Then what was going to happen the next day? So in less than a week from now, according to Scripture, Jesus would be crucified. Okay? I just want to put it in context. Because sometimes when we read these passages... We compartmentalize them, and we don't realize, like, man, this, this just happened. How could this happen and then that happen back to back? So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches, verse 13, and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it was written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on the donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this thing is getting, getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. 
So for a moment, just for a moment, as Jesus entered Jerusalem, people honored him. People worshiped him. They praised him. And just for a few hours, I don't know how long this went. It doesn't say. But for a few hours, Jesus was given proper, proper honor. But like I said just a few minutes ago, Jesus knew that this is his last trip into Jerusalem. And that in less than a week that he would be falsely accused, jailed, tortured, and nailed to a cross. And he was willing to do it. Why? Jesus, why were you willing to do that? Because it was God's will for Jesus to come and die for us. Sometimes that's, I mean, I mean, I grew up in church from 13 on, as a 13-year-old on. So sometimes I can just whip those things out. I, I speak great Christianese. I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at it. But when you start breaking things down, you're like, wow, Jesus, you really went through that. Why? Jesus, why would you do that? It is because of love. I mean, that's the only thing you can, you can see, that God so loved us that he sent his son. There's no way we could do it. There's no way, as his children, we are broken and we were sick. Let me rephrase that. As his children, we are broken and we are sick. And he had to come to repair our brokenness and to bring healing to us. And I'm talking salvation, yes, but I'm also talking just living this side of heaven. I mean, I've led a pretty sheltered life, I think. I have great parents. I needed two sets of parents. That's how I'm a needy person. I needed two sets of parents to raise me. But I needed Jesus. And I just remember... There was a time in my life where I was like, man, there's something wrong here. I feel lost. I was 13 years old. I feel lost. I don't get this. I thought it was all about riding your bikes and playing baseball. And after a while, that just didn't do it. And I felt like there's something wrong. Well, the reason why is because God was saying there is something wrong. You need me and you don't have me. So I'm, I want you to come with me. And I want you to follow me. Man, I was a 13-year-old ding-dong. I didn't know what that meant. I just started going to church with my mom. I had no idea. But Jesus didn't care. He was patient with me, and he, he just kept inviting me to follow him. And he put amazing people around me who loved me, Love the ding-dong that I am. Notice I said I am, not I was. And they pointed me to him. I mean, maybe watching right now. My first youth pastor, Dennis Todd. And our friends, Lori and Albert Gray, who just loved us and cared for us. And lived out Jesus in front of us and challenged us. They just didn't let me do whatever I wanted to do. They challenged me. Man, what you're doing is, yeah, you can do that. 
but it's not going to bring you life. So how could Jesus know going like, man, this is your last trip in Jerusalem. Why would you like detour? Why would he do that? Well, the Bible says because of the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Most of us don't like that word, endured. That means we have to hang on. That means we have to go through something to get to somewhere. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm just going to read it to you. There's two things in Hebrews chapter 12. It's mainly written to us to hang in there and to focus. But the writer of Hebrews throws in that one line. And I'll just read you the one line. And then I'll read you the whole passage. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame. You know, it was shameful to die on a cross. But Jesus wasn't the only one who died on a cross. Thousands upon thousands of people were crucified. But it was a shameful death. Why? Well, one, you hung there naked. For everybody to see. We don't talk about that very often, about our Lord. Because all the pictures I've seen, he's got this cute little cloth wrapped around him. That's shameful, right? But the other thing is, you're watching someone slowly die and take their last breaths. And if you've ever read or studied about crucifixion, the Romans were masters at it. And in order for you to breathe, you had to push to stand up straight to take a breath. Because after hanging like this for hours, it cut off your, your breathing. And so you'd have to push up to take a breath. Most of the time, they just tied your feet. And it was just painful enough. I mean, have you ever just stood there like this? Try it later this afternoon when you turn on the TV and you're watching cars go round and round and round. Okay? Just turning left for four hours straight. Okay? All right, it's great. Or you're watching these guys walk around and hit a little white ball for four hours. I'm not even a minute, and I'm like, I'm done. That's hard enough. But when you push to stand up against nails that have been slammed through your feet, that's painful, church. And that's, that's, Jesus endured that, knowing that what was next was going to be glorious. What was next was he was going to win. And that you, you, Bob, would be saved. Because of what Jesus has done for you. McKenna, you too. All of us in this room who call on his name. And maybe you've never called on his name. Maybe you're watching. You've never called his name. He still died for you. Because while we were far away, Jesus still died is what the Bible says. So he endured the cross knowing that what was next was going to be glorious. 
and the passages that we read out of Philippians and Revelation, that he would be able to stand again in heaven in victory. The Bible says he triumphed. That's such a great word. He triumphed and won the victory for us. So for those of us that live this side of heaven, I've been saying this for a couple years, and it's very real to me now. Yeah, this side of heaven is hard. I use other words at times. <laughs> I won't describe that word to you right now. So how do we endure this side of heaven? Well, the first part of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, says this. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 11 is this whole group of people that have gone before us, that already have walked the walk and had faith and believed. And you see the blessing that God says, all right, you're following me. And all of chapter 11, it's like the hall of fame. And then at the very end, it gets into the, man, there's a lot of people that have gone before. Their names aren't even mentioned, but they are tortured, murdered crucified, martyred for their faith. And then the writer says, well, since we're surrounded by all these who have gone before us, who've proven who our God is, then this is our response. Let us throw off everything that hinders. Let's throw off everything that gets in the way and the sin in our lives that so easily entangles us. The things that so easily mess us up and let us run with perseverance. Oh, another word we don't like very much. I mean, preserves, I like preserves. Like strawberry preserves on my toast is great. We normally call it jam, but back in the day, they called it preserves. I'm talking about a few of the older saints in the house. Preserves, right? I'm not looking at some of you because I don't want you to think I think you're older. Perseverance, that we run the race with perseverance that God has marked out for us. And how do we do that? Verse 2, by fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of faith. And then it describes what he's done for us. Who for the joy that is set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the God the Father. That's how Jesus was able to get through what he went through. And for us, how do we get through the hard times? How do we persevere? How do we continue to run the race? So we fix our eyes on Jesus. And don't get distracted with mandates. Church, I'm preaching now. Don't get distracted with mandates. Don't get distracted with culture. Don't get distracted by sports and hobbies, even family and friends. But fix your eyes on Jesus. And he is faithful to lead us. All of chapter 11 of Hebrews has all these saints that gave their hearts to Jesus and followed him. And God was faithful. That whole chapter is to remind us that our God is faithful. I'm here to remind you this morning, even in the midst of death, our God is faithful. I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to share it. I might have to stand over by the Kleenex. So on Monday, I came home from the hospital, Monday the 26th. I was getting ready to go play softball. I'd been in the hospital for about six hours, and, and um, I'm walking out the door, 
And the doctor calls and said, we think you need to come down because we don't think she's going to make it. So I called my son. We cried on the phone. And um, he came and picked me up when we went into Seattle. And we said our goodbyes and we left just in time in the car on I-90 to hear the grand slam by the Mariners to win the game. And I just felt the Lord say, I'm with you. I was afraid. Because I've never been in a room where somebody's passed away. I've been close, been there before, been there right after, been there long after, but never there. So got up Tuesday morning, six-ish, slept a little bit, um, reached out to Cleo's brother. He, he, he had gone. He had spent the night. We had doing a rotation. And he said, hey, she's still with us. And so I got in my car, drove into Seattle, and uh, spent 12 and a half hours on Tuesday. Tuesday was rough. And God provided some angels to come in the form of human beings. So some of my friends came, sat with me, talked with me, precious, talked to her, laughed with her even though she was unconscious at the time. And then my son and my brother-in-law talked me into going home at 9.30 that night. I've been there for about 12 and a half hours at least, thinking that was goodbye. Wednesday morning, she's still with us. Tuesday was rough to be in the room. Got there Tuesday, on oh, Wednesday morning, and Cleo was back. Not the way I wanted, but she was sleeping. It was like she was on our couch taking a nap. You know, with Cleo's condition, she had to rest every day. So for 32 years, from about 2 to 3.30, she would rest. Sometimes shorter, sometimes longer. If you took her shopping, somehow she had enthusiasm. She could make it. And she could take a short nap after. Walked in the room. And I was afraid. I'm just being real with you all. I was afraid because I had never been, and I'd heard bad stuff, and I've never walked through this, and I don't recommend it, but we will, this side of heaven. And she was Cleo just laying there sleeping, as peaceful, I mean, I'm telling you, church, as peaceful as could be. And it was just her and I for three and a half hours, and I prayed, and had my phone, I don't even have my phone, had my phone setting on the bed and just playing worship songs, songs that the Lord put in my heart. Cleo hated new songs, but I have a whole bunch of new songs, so I was playing those, played some old hymns, How Great Thou Art, over and over in her room. It's the most peaceful thing I've heard, I think I've ever experienced. In the midst of the crazy difficult, God's peace was with us. And I heard God speaking. And you, so one of my, one, I'll just tell you, one of my nicknames for Cleo, and I never said it at church, but I used to call her Baby Cakes. Where did that come from? I have no idea. And she would laugh and she would giggle over it, you know. So for years. And I had shortened it. Most recently, I had shortened it just to baby. 
Not you, you, some of you are thinking, you called her cakes? No. I don't even know. <laughs> she loved cake. And um, our nurse we had on that Wednesday, just an incredible person. If you've ever been in the hospital and you have a nurse, and the nurses that really care, you can tell, right? And the, the nurses that don't care, you can tell. This one cared. In fact, almost all her nurses cared. And um, I'm sitting at her side, and the nurse comes in and rubs Cleo's face. This is what the nurse said. This is what she said. Hey, baby cakes. And I just want you to know that that was the Lord speaking to me. That was the Lord speaking to me and said, I got you. I got you. And it wasn't long after she, she took her last breath. As peaceful as can be. And five seconds later, one of my best friends walked in the room. Krista walked in the room. Because the Lord knew I needed somebody there that day. And she just felt the Lord say, I need to go up there. And so we sat in that room, what, hour and a half? Two, two hours? Yeah. Just told stories. It was awesome. So how do we go through stuff like this, church? Because Cleo's not the only one that's going to pass. The Bible says that, and it's one of those verses that, go figure, precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. Because he knows they're free. And he knows they're home. They're home free. So how do we endure that? How do we walk it? How do we get through it? We fix our eyes on Jesus. There's nothing anybody can say or anything they can do to fill that place. Only Jesus. Can I give you a little instruction? Is it okay if I give you a little instruction? When somebody loses somebody, you don't have to say sorry unless you did it. I've got a lot of sorries. And I get it. I say it. But I think what's needed the most, if you don't have the words to say, then just say, I'm here. I've had a few people reach out to me. Tim said, I don't have the words, but I'm here. Many of you, many of you, many of you have said, I'm here. I think that's the best thing we can say when someone's walking through it. You notice I said walking through it. Because it's not a stop, it's not a destination, praise the Lord but it's a pathway. Psalm 23 is for us who are still living. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He's with us. Next Saturday is going to be a celebration day, I hope. I mean, my daughter-in-law has written the eulogy, and I tried to read it yesterday. Oh, my gosh. Whole box, almost. And then my friend... Is putting together the video of the pictures that we've done. And I was like, oh, I, I don't even know. But we need to celebrate one another, right? 
And so we're going to celebrate her next week. So we fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the author and he's the perfecter of our faith. I wanted to tell you a little bit of our story. I know I've gone long this morning. Pastor Marcy is going to, I'm going to hide from her. But she can chase me down now because she's got a V8 Mustang. So, so we fix our eyes on Jesus knowing that what we face here, this side of heaven, is just temporary. And what we're building is everlasting. Can we stand? So Jesus was able to endure what he endured because of the joy set before him. So I just want to encourage us, whatever you're enduring this morning, whatever you're persevering through this morning, know that the joy of the Lord is set before you. That what you're going through is temporary, even if it's for Cleo, 32 years. 32 years, which seems like an eternity, but it's a piece of tape on the timeline of eternity. So Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your presence and being with us and watching over us and guiding us, correcting us, loving us. Well, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room and watching at home, Lord, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, that we would look full into your wonderful face. And when we do that, the things of this world, the things that seem overwhelming and stressful, the things that bring sickness, those things will be, become strangely dim in the light of your glory and in the light of your grace. Lord, I pray that for those who are persevering this morning, who are doing their best to endure, for those who are treading water and feeling like they're being tugged under, Lord, I thank you that you are faithful to finish what you have started. And when you're done, you bring us home. And that's not something to be afraid about. But like Paul says, this side of heaven, all right, Jesus, I'm going to live for you. Oh, but it's going to be so much better in heaven. So much better. So, Lord, I pray for visions this week. I pray for revelation this week. I pray that we would be your church. Even with masks on, we would still be your church. In Jesus' name. Anybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you all.